0: Right, Good morning. Good morning. So yeah, last week um, I was involuntarily volunteered to dance, and the pressure was unbearable. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. Uh, so uh, yeah, my name is Rich Lynn. I'm el- an elder here at Jacob's Well, and um, it's my privilege to be wrapping up our series Faithful to the Core uh, this week. And so just a quick review We're gonna put the slide up there. Uh, The five core identities. First, you see at the top there, gospel-centered, which is central to uh, all that we do. Uh, We wanna make sure all of our other identities flow out of being gospel-centered. We have thoughtfully engaged, which Pastor Minoj led us through a few weeks ago. Uh, Life in multi-ethnic community seeking justice and mercy. And today we will look at joy and generosity in mission. And so if you missed any of the previous weeks, uh, they are actually on our website. And uh, you can go back into the archives and listen to them. Uh, I actually, in prep, hold on one second. Let me get situated here. Uh, In prep, uh, I listened to Joy and Generosity, the sermon uh, from January of 2020. Uh, Pastor Scott did a wonderful job, but as I was listening, I couldn't help but think as we were sitting there in January 2020, uh, like we had no idea what was coming. Uh, Crazy. It felt like a simpler time. Uh, But uh, so as we look at this core identity, broadly speaking, what we hope that this identity looks like here in our church that we would be a joyfully generous church. And in order for us to be a joyfully generous church, we have to be a joyfully generous people. So what we mean by generous is we want want all of us, everyone to be involved with giving and that's of money, time, energy, talents to what God has called the church to be in this community and in the world. And so we desire for all to be involved in the mission, for, for our church specifically, we have the signs out there, we exist for the glory of God, the good of the city, and we extend hope through the gospel. So some common sayings we've used here uh, at the church uh, are, we are a community, community that is all hands on deck, so we brought in a sailing term. Uh, We have said that we are a community where everyone puts their hand to the plow. So we're bringing farming into it also. And another term that we've used is nobody rides the bench. So bringing the sports. Uh, And I I always found that one amusing because I spent a lot of time riding the bench (laughs) in high school. Uh, It has nothing to do with the fact that I was a mediocre soccer player because one year Actually, yeah, I was mediocre. But one year we had like 22, 23 players on the team. They didn't cut anybody. It's great because I got to be on the team. But you know, in soccer you field 11, and there's you know two times th- the amount of people on the field. So it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> riding the bench. But um, the bench actually—I you know, was thinking about you know riding, you know, being on the bench is actually not a bad thing. Uh, in, in a lot of sports, you're, you're on the bench to rest or just get ready to go in. Uh, but when you ride the bench, you, you pretty much expect not to play. And so we do not want to be a community where we want people to sit back and not expect to be involved. I like to imagine that we are more like a hockey bench. I know there are some hockey people here I see, uh, in the back. Uh, I, I didn't grow up really playing or, or watching hockey, but I do know that it's the way that they handle the bench is very different. Uh, there's a constant rotation of players, and there's really no rules uh, about subs- <laughs> subbing. Is that right, Steve? That right? <laughs> there's some rules. But yeah, like, people, can go keep, people can go on and off at any time. You can swap the whole team off at one time. The, the game doesn't stop. It just keeps going. It, it looks like chaos. Uh, so we're kind of like that. We're, you know, <laughs> we want everyone to be, to be uh, ready to go. And so uh, I wanted to, before we jump in, uh, make a couple notes here. Uh, first, uh, as a church, we try to embody joy and generosity in mission uh, as an organization. So 20% of what comes in, of what's given, we give, uh, we, we send back out. And we've been doing it since the church was founded. And so we try to give towards uh, the mission of God you know, outside of these walls. And so we send money all over the world uh, for the good of other cities and to bring uh, justice and mercy to areas of the world that need it. And so we really try not to just say it. We try to be an example as well. Uh, And the second note, and usually for joy and generosity, mission, we talk about financial giving. And we don't really talk about it much here. We aren't that kind of church. But we do require that members who are committed here to regularly give, uh, and we don't expect guests to fund our church. And so, that being said, I I will also say that we have had some extremely joyfully generous non-members here at Jacob's Well. Uh, And God has used you all in amazing ways, and I wanted to recognize that and say that we are thankful. So if you are new here or newer or a guest, don't tune out. This is not a a fundraiser, a fundraising message, uh, because uh, being joyful in in your generosity in the mission of God is an essential part of the Christian life for all of us. Uh, It's an important part in the growth of our faith in Jesus, and and that's regardless of whether it's here or, or somewhere else. And so by the end of today, there's two places you can end up. You can end up feeling really guilty that you aren't doing enough. Or you could leave and pat yourself on the back and say that you would do plenty and feel really good about yourself. And I hope that neither one of those happens at the end of today. Uh, After all, being guilted into giving is not joyful. Uh, And giving what you have is not good stewardship, and both of those are commanded in the Bible. And we also know it's an area of life that none of us have down pat, so regardless of where you are, as with everything else in life, biblical giving is something that all of us can consistently bring before and submit to Jesus and allow his sanctifying work to grow us in the area. Uh, So let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, bless our time in your word today. Uh, help us to be a people that uh, seek after you and move us to be joyful and generous. Uh, give, uh, Help us to give and serve and for your purposes uh, now, here on this earth, and uh, for eternity. Amen. So we're going to start out today in Acts. We'll put it up on the Scrolly Bible. You can also... Uh, if you like to read paper, you can turn to Acts 17, 22 to 31. All right, I'm gonna, I'll re- we'll read that. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Oh, sorry. We're not done. (laughs) Uh, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." So here we find Paul, the Apostle Paul in Athens. Athens was the epicenter of modern civilization at the time. And the Areopagus was a place where the philosophers and thinkers of the day would gather and it actually says they just spent all day talking and debating about new ideas. And in, in actually, in the beginning of chapter 17, Paul's walking around the city, and he says he's provoked in his heart because he, he saw idols all over. And he started to reason with the Jews in the temple and in the marketplace. And while he was doing that, other people started to, uh, to listen and hear what he was saying. And some of these philosophers, uh, they actually called him a babbler. They're like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, and they were they were interested, but they thought he was kind of crazy. He's like this would be great to present this guy to you know our our little our little meeting. And so Paul has a chance to present his case in front of the crowd, and he lays out some compelling and powerful truths about who God is. And so if you look uh, at the verse, there I'm going to lay I'm going to list some of these attributes that. Paul brings out about God. Uh, first, uh, he is uh, the creator, made the world and everything in it. Uh, he, uh, God is boundless. Paul says he does not live in temples made by man. He is not constrained to man-made uh, buildings or, or systems. God is self-sustaining. Paul says that he is not in need of anything. He is not in need of being served. By human hands. God is a giver. He himself is the giver of life and breath and everything. It also says God is, uh, Paul says, God is sovereign. doesn't use that word, but he says, God determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Basically saying God is sovereign. He controls world events. He controls the boundaries of nations. Then he goes on, Paul uh, Paul says God is not far from us, so God is personal, he is accessible. And he Mm -hmm. ends with saying God is greater than the things of this world, saying that God is not material like gold, silver, stone, or even art and, and imagination. And finally, God is righteous, he has the power to judge the world. This grand picture that God paints, uh, or that Paul paints of God, is is a stark contrast to the false gods, the, the gods little <laughs> g, represented throughout the city, and I think, and Paul is is being, he's uh, comparing them and saying, this is this is the uh, this is the unknown God that you uh, guys you you don't understand, that you are searching for. And specifically, I wanted to, you know, what does all this have to do with joy and generosity? Uh, is In the middle of that of the passage, Paul says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. And in some translations, this uh, word served in Greek, they translate as worshipped. says God is not in need of man's service or worship. And the Greek word, I'm going to try not to butcher it, is is therapeuo, and that means to serve or also to give help, to take care of, or to heal. So it's the same word used, that same word is used to talk about Jesus and what Jesus did for for people, the sick, the dying, the blind. uh, He healed them, the same word, therapeuo. So it's fascinating that Paul uses that word because everywhere else in the Bible, when it talks about man and God, uh, whether it's uh, Almighty God or, or anything else, uh, the word for worship or serve is is different. It's a completely different word. So, for for example, when we talk about man serves God, or a, a, a person serving a king, something a higher power, the word used is is which, uo, uh, which means to serve. And then when we talk about God, a man worshiping God, the word used is proskuneo. And so this word that Paul uses for serve and or to worship is completely different. And I think it's, it's very interesting. It's the same word used for what Jesus did for us. Serve, help, heal, and care. So Paul saying these idols, these go- gods that you worship, their existence depends on your time and your energy and your treasure mm-hmm. and it, their function depends on what you can do for them. In contrast, the God that we serve, he's not constrained by man-made buildings. Uh, he con- he's sovereign, he's powerful, he controls the boundaries of nations, and he does not require humans to give him anything in order to exist or function. So maybe this was a bit for the benefit of other listeners because you know, maybe the, the philosophers listening, they may not have been familiar with Jesus of Nazareth and, and, or what he did, but I think in using the word therapeuo, he is making a connection to Jesus. He is the healer. He is the God who heals and the God who gives. And so, joy and generosity in mission must be rooted in the belief that God is joyfully generous. He is the OG, the original giver, or originally generous—either one of those words. Uh, so, our, our giving, our giving, is not transactional. Uh, we're not g- going. We're not giving to God so that we can get something in return, uh, which throughout history is. You know, that's the relationship that humans have had with gods or uh, anything that we tend to worship. We give in order to get something back. Paul says that God gives first. He has given breath and life and everything. In 1 John 4, uh, 10 to 11, it says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, we got, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so joy and generosity and mission is a response to the joy and generosity of God. And in doing so, we reflect God's image to the world. So in October of 2021, I found an article. It's on Vox.com. And the title of the article is The Problem with America's Semi-Rich. In the interview to philosopher, his name is Matthew Stewart, he wrote a book. And the book's title is The 9.9%, The New Aristocracy That Is Entrenching Inequality and Warping Our Culture. Uh, that's, that's an intense title. And so the interview spanned a lot of topics. It covered uh, things like class, wealth, education, inequality in America, uh, a lot of topics that I won't really, we won't go into detail. But I did want to highlight a few quotes in the article because, uh, you know, keep in mind that this article wasn't written by a Christian. And, but there's some, there's some truths here that I think that are uh, really relevant and noteworthy for, for what we're talking about today. And so right out of the gate, the subtitle to the article, it says, America's upper middle class works more, optimizes their kids, and is miserable. That's subtitle. And then in the introduction, this is a little long, but stay with me here. It says, there are some defining characteristics of today's American upper middle class. They are hyper-focused on getting their kids into great schools and themselves into great jobs, at which they're willing to work super long hours. They want to live in in great neighborhoods, even if that means keeping others out, and will pay what it takes to ensure their family's fitness and health. They believe in meritocracy, that they've gained their positions in society by talent and hard work. They believe in markets. They're rich, but they don't feel like it. They're always looking for someone else who is richer. They're also terrified. While this 9.9% drives inequality, they want to lock in their positions for themselves and their families. They're also driven by inequality. They recognize that American society is increasingly one of have-nots, and they're determined not to be one of them. Uh, The last one I want to take from there is is further into the interview. Uh, This is the author, Matthew Stewart. He says, I know people who are in the top 1% of wealth distribution who just feel incredibly poor and stretched because they're looking around and see other people who, who have got just that much more and can do that much better. That insecurity is what runs throughout the system. Just because you're in the top decile, or 9.9%, doesn't mean you escape it. In some ways, you're more subject to that insecurity. That drives people to do crazy things to stay where they are and to avoid falling. And so while the author is specifically talking about the uh, upper 9.9 percent of America, there's still a lot of truth in there uh, for all of us. And there's a reason that the Bible and Jesus during his time on earth addresses so often this topic of money and possessions. Uh, In his humanity, Jesus realized and lived in the reality that money plays a central role in in society. It plays a central role in all our lives. But when we are driven by the pursuit of wealth and accumulation, and when we look out for just ourselves and our own, the result is actually what we see described in that article. It leads to a relentless pursuit of more. It just doesn't stop. Uh, it leads to suspicion of others, dissatisfaction, insecurity, worry, and even misery. So I have a, I have a, uh, a car, it's a plug-in hybrid from 2012, so 10 years ago electric cars were, were just starting to become a thing. I got it a few years ago and the only way for me to charge it, it took, it took six and a half hours to charge, a uh, long time. And the only way I could plug it in when I bought it was uh, into like a wall outlet, like that you see, you know, a- around the room here. And so I'd have this the car plugged in for an extended period of time, for hours at a time. And the weird thing about our, our house is, I like to say, the builders of our house drank in the morning and did construction in the afternoon, <laughs> because for some reason that plug in the garage. Was connected to all the bathroom plugs and all the plugs outside of the house, and then also some plugs in the living room. It was random. And so when I'd have the car charging, anytime my wife would blow dry her hair in the bathroom, it would shut half the house off. Living room or internet would go out, the lights in the living room go out, outside plugs stop working, bathroom, it was, it was a mess. And so every time it happened, like, oh, oh rich, it happened again, so i go to the basement, and the circuit breaker would trip, so i turn it back on, get everything back on. And so this was a frequent occurrence for about a couple years. Uh, every, you know, every few times a week, this would happen. Uh, and finally, after a couple years, one day, uh, Lizanne, she decided to dry her hair, start drying her hair in the bedroom. Uh, the solution was so simple <laughs> so, so simple you know <laughs> uh, it 's fine now uh, finally I put it on a different circuit uh, but um, but the circuit breaker in the basement was the function of it was to cut off the el- flow of electricity when it sensed that there was too much power for the wires to handle without it the the circuit would overload and it would lead to bad things, fire, melted wires, burned out electronics, uh, you know, bad results would happen. And so as, as Christians, the call to be joyfully generous, giving of what we have functions like a circuit breaker. It helps to disconnect us from the sway that money, along with everything else within its sphere, work, possessions, security, self-sustainment, can have on us and it keeps our, uh, uh, keeps our hearts aligned with God rather than with what uh, society and culture uh, wants us to align ourselves to. In the passage that Scott read earlier, in verse 24, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you cannot serve God and have money. He says you cannot serve God and serve money because when you are in service to something, you give your time, energy, and devotion to it. So whether you lack it or if you have a lot of it, it doesn't matter you can still be mastered by it. And so joy and generosity in mission is a way for us to break that draw and find contentment, not in money or pursuing our own interests, but uh, pursuing God and his interests and demonstrate that, that we are not God and money is not God. Turn can turn to Mark 12, also will be up there, verse 41 to 44. It's funny, sometimes I grab uh, bookmarks for my Bible, and the two bookmarks I happen to have in here are a parking ticket, and a property tax assessment. <laughs> just, just a reminder of the challenges of of uh, living in New Jersey, but but that God is is faithful and and uh, and provides. So Mark twelve forty one to forty four. but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So in this passage, we see Jesus people-watching at the temple. Uh, he, he's sitting in the court. He's sitting in the court area where the offerings to the temple were collected. And he's, he's, it specifically says he sits opposite it. Uh, this, he, he gets a, a, the best view of what's going on. And I think it's very pers- purposeful that he put himself in that spot. Uh, anybody, anybody here like to people watch? Uh, yeah? Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fascinating. I, I love, uh, not, you know, not in a creepy way, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I like to hang out like in Central Park, uh, just watch the comings and goings of people. It's just fascinating. And Central Park's just a great place for it. Um, so it, here, you know, Jesus isn't people watching for fun. And he was there to make a point. He was waiting for a very specific moment, to, for a, a teaching moment for his disciples. And so in giving this passage a quick read, we may just conclude that Jesus is teaching the disciples about sacrificial giving, which is absolutely true. Uh, however, you know, as with a lot of what Jesus taught, there's something, uh, something more, something deeper, I think we can glean from this. So this, this poor widow, this impoverished widow, gave a couple coins, amounted to about a penny. And it says that it was all she had to live on. So from a pure monetary standpoint, it's really, it's really nothing. It does nothing to doesn't put a dent in the temple budget or whatever it was used for. Uh, it's a tiny drop in a very large bucket. And then so, after Jesus sees this, he he takes his disciples aside, or he brings them over and 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 makes them look and say, and then he throws math out the window, completely out the window. He says that the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing combined. Jesus could not care less about the numbers. What Jesus is saying is that I see this. This is significant to me. Some people may want to say that Jesus is downplaying the people who gave a lot because it was out of abundance, but I don't think that's that's the case at all. Jesus isn't trying to make a better or worse comparison. Uh, I believe he's pointing at something more significant than that. If we're able to actually jump back a, few, a couple verses in Mark, we can put it back up. Surprise, sorry. Uh, 30 uh, we go back a couple verses to 38. This happened immediately before this. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and his last teaching before he, de- he decides to sit down and, and people watch at the treasury. In 38 it says, and in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So before he sits down here, he just finished his teaching uh, and concluded with a scathing, this is brutal, brutal laying down of truth, uh, about, uh, about the scribes. Scribes were the teachers and experts of the law at the time. They were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, and, and, and Jesus just lays into them. Notice in verse 40 that it says the scribes devour widows' houses. So the ones who are experts in the law that know it from top to bottom, they know that the law was very specific put in safeguards to protect and to provide for widows for the poor they would actually take advantage of their plight and instead of protecting and serving them they would literally take their livelihoods from under them usually it was a home or an inheritance something given to them by their deceased husband And so after Jesus lays this out he goes and sits and waits he knows, he knows what he's going to see and we should have missed the fact that the whole incident happens after this teaching Jesus wanted to make sure the disciples understand that what they are witnessing and this widow's offering is not what ought to be uh, the fact that the widow is only able to give two copper coins is utterly wrong she should not be giving out of that at minimum she should be giving out of her needs being met And even out of abundance, not out of her poverty. And so the law and the system, and and Jesus is bringing this out the system and the people in that system meant to protect her have failed her. And in this interaction he has with the disciples, he is elevating her to a place where not only is her sacrificial giving dignified, but her plight is seen. So, why should we be joyful and generous in mission? Because while God may not need to be served by human hands, people need to be. Some of you here or listening online are not in a position to give, but rather are feeling the insecurity and even the shame of being in need. And this interaction reminds us, reminds you, reminds all of us that God dignifies you in a place of need and sees your faithfulness. It sees it as exceptionally beautiful. And so let this passage be an encouragement to you. uh, And we desire that our church, Jacob's Well, be a place where you don't don't feel cast aside. Uh, You feel feel served. And that it allows us, as a church, to embody God's joy and generosity to you. We we live in a broken world where even the best systems inve- inevitably fail. I say in America we have pretty good systems, but it still fails, and, and it leaves people behind and leaves people in need. There's still evil in the world. Uh, the poor and widowed and marginalized are still taken advantage of, and we live in a world with suffering. And until Jesus returns and fully makes all those things right there will always be deep physical and spiritual needs in the world. And God in this present time chooses us, chooses to use us, the church, and the resources that we have, all which belong to Him, to serve Him by bringing about the completion of this mission for all of humanity. And so joy and generosity and mission is also uh, a way that God uses our giving and our serving Fulfill his purposes and to serve others. So, I'm not here, I'm not here up here this morning saying that we uh, as a church do it perfectly, uh, but we do have this core identity, and because we we want it to be uh, continuously be a desire uh, for us, and we pray that it would be embodied in the lives of our church or lives of. Our members and everyone here in this church and it's also a call it's also a call for us uh, followers of Jesus for everybody regardless of whether you call our, Jacob's Well home or not. So what, is, what does this look like practically? I'm, gonna, I'm going to read something that came out of our, our membership packet. So if you've gone through membership in the church, uh, you may have seen this, we haven't really figured out exactly who to attribute this quote to, but uh, it, could be, it could be Pastor Reed or, uh, or John Scalambro, but uh, I'm going to read this. Rather than being impersonal and legalistic, a steady, hab- uh, habitual, even automatic approach to giving can do more to form us spiritually than the give-only-out-of-joy approach giving what is in your pocket when a plate is passed. Uh, We don't pass a plate here, but you 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 get the idea. The decision to give a percentage of our income automatically and off the top can affect everything from the house we live in to the groceries we buy to a pizza delivery. When we pass on a purchase because we know the check to church or a sponsored child is going out that week, it forces us to prioritize. It places supremacy with someone or something other than us. Most importantly, informatively, it reorients our life. So the last line is the challenge. Giving should reorient our life. So rather than our life uh, being shaped around, rather than our life sh- being shaped around our giving, our giving shapes our life. So I know, I know there are uh, a lot of students here you know, spread out all over, and you probably feel like you don't have two nickels to rub together. That's kind of an outdated saying. Uh, I, I know you, you feel like you don't have two 1,000ths of a bitcoin to rub together. <laughs> but uh, I do want to encourage you um, that though you feel like you may not be able to contribute much, uh, still to establish that habit of giving. Uh, because, you know, in, in Luke 16, in Luke sixteen ten, Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So start by practicing joy and generosity and mission while you have a little and to prepare for if and when you have more. So another something practical. uh, If you don't have a regular source of income, uh, consider, you know, having a giving account or a giving bucket, kind of like a savings. Money comes in over time. You kind of earmark it, set it aside, and pray, you know, it doesn't matter how much it is. Pray that God would show you opportunities to use those resources for his mission and for his purposes. There's also times in certain life stages where you just can't give as much as usual. Uh, You may have lost a job, maybe going through a health issue. Uh, You also may be a new mom or a mom of young kids, and you're just exhausted. You can't serve the same capacity that you used to. And that's okay. There's gonna be times where uh, we need to tap into the joy, the joyful generosity of God more than we normally do and uh, in God he will sustain you and just continue to be faithful with what you have been given. So we've been through a couple challenging years. A lot has changed. Life has changed in a lot of ways. Church has changed but our calling to be joyfully generous in the mission of God has not changed and so uh, you know I'm really excited. We're really excited about what's to come. Uh, There's just so many opportunities right now for our community to be all hands on deck. There's a lot of partnerships that we're working on and developing opportunities to serve and various ways we can practice our joy and generosity muscles. Uh, We have discipleship course starting up. It's a chance to give of our time, to set aside time to sit in God's word To learn more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and so in this uh, hopefully soon post-pandemic life there's a renewed calling for our church uh, to be joyfully generous of our time of our energy of our money for the glory of God the good of the city and to extend the hope through the gospel Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a giver. Thank you for giving us life and breath and everything. Lord, you know our needs, and I pray that, uh, Lord, you would meet everyone here in their needs, and that we would be able to give out of abundance, because we know that you are able. But Lord, we know that regardless, you are faithful, you love us, and you are uh, our provider and giver, and we and put our faith and trust in you. Pray that our church will be a joyful, generous church as you have been joyful and generous to us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.